Grow stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future. Winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right. Ready? Here we go. Let's do it. <clears throat> Mr. Not cool enough for a nickname. What is that? You don't have a nickname? <laughs> Justin oh, North. I, I, you asked me that question. You asked me that question right up front. And it was like, you know, I I don't think anyone has ever called me a nickname. I guess I'm just not cool enough for it, which I kind of well, embrace that. I'll give you one bowling ball. We'll start off with that. Justin North, an attorney, uh, so a lawyer now, which is really cool. And it's kind of interesting to me. So I can't wait to get into that part of your story. Living in Castle Rock, Colorado, raised in. Pasadena, California, uh, fellow Napster of mine, same class, same inside linebacker group at Naps, same coach and Bobby Mack, and I got a memory from him, so that's fun. Um, <laughs> you're also uh, not just a 2010 Academy grad, uh, same class as myself, but uh, a Notre Dame Law School alum, uh, class of 2020. That's pretty neat. That's right. Um, background jobs, we'll let you get into them, but... I'm going to breeze through grocery bagger, pizza to delivery, smoothies and sandwiches before enlisting in the Marine Corps. Uh, rifleman, what was your MOS? You uh, I was an aircraft mechanic. I did aviation. Work. Aircraft mechanic. Gotcha. Cool. Went to NAPS, went to the Academy, became an infantry officer. Uh, did some time with 3-4, 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines. Uh, deployed as platoon commander to Sangin. Did some series commander time at MCRD San Diego Marine Corps Recruiting Depot. San Diego, uh, also became a company commander there, um, transitioned from the military into law school, now an attorney for a few different firms. So uh, fly fishermen, like the camp, nonprofit. I thought this was pretty cool. Um, on the executive council of the uh, Colorado Bar Association, military and vet affairs uh, section, and a legislative liaison to the Colorado legislature for vets issues so that's pretty cool yeah it sounds like a whole bunch of words it's a lot less it's a lot less cool in uh in practice than it is in the in the writing but we'll get through it awesome all right couple of memories osei good dude hard hitter um under underestimated power like you're kind of like kevin campbell i don't know if you've listened to that one yet but uh kevin was the same way um, Bobby Mack, the definition of a team first player, um, who got the most out of his size and athletic ability and always gave the most in practice, a run through the wall, a run through a brick wall player. Um, and for me, like, man, you were always such a good source of, of motivation and inspiration to me. Uh, I don't think the, uh, prior enlisted guys know how much, um, you know, weight they carry coming into like a, a situation like NAPS or at the Academy and, and taking some folks under your wing or be like, Hey, been there, brother. Let me tell you a story. Let me, you know, kind of, you know, go through this situation with you. Right. So yep. uh, I thought that was cool. And then, um, 
You know, I didn't really think about it until last minute, so I apologize, but I was trying to get a hold of Corey and uh, uh, Jameson Gay, because I'm pretty sure you were close to those two. Yep. Uh, yeah, they were both in my company. <laughs> I couldn't I get actually, them, I was so. just listening to Finnerty's episode just, just before we jumped on. Nice. How'd it go? You like it? Yeah, I liked it a lot, man. You, I will talk about this as much or as little as you want, but uh, you have really, really grown as an interviewer. So it's cool oh. listening to some of those first episodes with Cam and with Jeff and Austin and then getting into some of the later ones where you interviewed yeah. Bobby, which I, man, I could not have been more excited to listen to that one. <laughs> you know, well, I still think about cutting off some of the back half of that one every now and then, but I let I it ride. That's what this it, is about, right? Y'all's personalities came through so clearly. And I think that's <laughs> so much of what makes, at least, I mean, you too, but so much of what makes Bobby who he is, is... Yeah. It's True. just him being himself and just a hundred percent Bobby Mac the whole way. And I, I couldn't love it more. So it was cool to hear. Awesome. Cool, man. That's it. Uh, story time. All right. I'll tell it. Well, it's, uh, I guess to give it you the basics, it's a, it's a story of getting in the back door to a bunch of places because I was at the right place in the right time. Um, Went to high school in Arcadia, California, uh, played football, played middle linebacker, um, and, and really just loved football. I mean, my my dad's dad, my grandfather, was a high school football coach. My dad was my coach growing up, and so football was always kind of a way that we related to each other. Then I you know, went to high school, like I said, played middle linebacker. Uh, that was about the only thing I did well in high school uh, was play football, the I know, I know Marshall holds the record for the lowest GPA or so he claims, but I, I don't know what my high school GPA was, but it was, it wasn't high above his, I'll say that. And, uh, <laughs> so I enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, and actually in prep for this podcast, I was looking up some old stuff and found an old newspaper article from back in the 2002, where the interviewer at the end of my senior football season asked me what I was going to do. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going into the Marine Corps and then I'm going to get out right away and be a firefighter because I'm never going to college. I'm done with school. <laughs> and so uh, what, what made you want to go in? Cool thing. What, what made you want to get into the Marine Corps? Uh, I may be jumping the gun here, silly. but yeah, it, it sounds silly, but there's a bunch of good reasons. I mean, post 9-11 and, and all that stuff patriotism and wanting to do the right thing but the truth is it was the book battle cry by leon uris which is a, a story about a bunch of guys going to guadalcanal and fighting in world war ii and and the brotherhood that they formed and it talked a lot about you know the crucible of combat and but even starting before that in recruit training and just watching or reading about how those guys formed a brotherhood it just sounded right to me and i knew that that was what i wanted out of my life and so it was, it felt like the logical step from playing football. And, you know, my football career was going to end at the end of high school because I wasn't going to college. And I mean, I, I'm like five, seven, so it wasn't going anywhere anyways. So, uh, yeah. Gotcha. Decided to enlist. Sorry. I had to yeah. ask, but um, keep going. Yeah. So I enlisted in the Marine Corps, went to boot camp in, I guess, October of 2003. So short, not not immediately after graduation, I actually went back to my high school and coached the freshman football team through their season. Uh, and then nice. as soon as the freshman season ended, which ended you know, a couple of weeks before the regular rest of the varsity season did, I went off to boot camp, uh, did that. Went through, 
I guess, training in Pensacola, Florida, Cherry Point, North Carolina, and then got stationed back at Miramar in San Diego and did that for a couple of years. And just, just a brief story there was some recruiter from the Naval Academy was coming through to do a pitch to get some prior enlisted Marine or some enlisted Marines to try to go to Annapolis. And I had no, I mean, no interest, genuinely none. And the only reason that I ended up in that theater was because I, another thing about me is I'm a, I'm a gambler. I, I love to play cards. I love to bet on sports. I enjoy nice. that. Uh, so I was running a, a football pool and I went into my CO's office to see if he wanted to participate. Hey, sir, we're doing this. We're doing this pool. You want to pick some games for the NFL weekend and then we'll see who wins. And, you know, maybe we'll do like a half a duty day off or something like that. And he's like, oh, cool. That's a great idea. Hey, by the way, I have to send somebody to this thing and you're the first Marine I've seen today. So guess what? You're going. Nice. And it changed my life. I mean, funny how that works, right? No doubt. I mean, it was like divine intervention and I mean, just really lucky. But then what ended up happening is I went to this lecture, came back. He's like, how was it? It's like, man, that sounds awesome. He's like, okay, do you want to go? Do you want to try? It's like, nope, not even a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, I actually think you'd be a good officer. I think you ought to think about it. And I was like, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that, but I'm not interested. Thank you. I, if any, if I stay in the Marine Corps at all, I'm going to be the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. I'm, I'm an enlisted Marine. I'm not, you know, I like, I work for a living, damn it. You know, one of those guys. <laughs> and my CEO is like, cool. Well, if you're ever going to think about being, you know, an actual leader in this organization, instead of having to follow the boss, then I want you to get a commission. And that was interesting to me. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, maybe. And he, that was all he needed. He's like, all right, cool. You're going to go take the SAT tomorrow because I never took it in high school. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I just let's just see. Maybe you're good at this. Who knows? Uh, I took it and got a got a good score on it I, I don't remember exactly what it was i think it was somewhere in the 1300 out of 1600 range um which for a guy with a sub two gpa from high school was a surprise for everybody but uh <laughs> ended up doing well enough on that that he's like man if you apply you're gonna you might actually get in uh, and so i ended up applying to annapolis and then found out i got in and then he asks me he's like so when are you leaving and it's like oh sir i'm I wasn't lying. I don't want to do this. I'm not going. And to that man's credit, he said, get out of my office and wait outside. I said, yes, sir. Walked outside and I hear him on the other. I hear him through the door because I'm obviously eavesdropping because that's what you're going to do if you get sent outside the office. And I hear him punching some numbers into his phone and I hear, hi, Mrs. North. Oh, man. Sure enough, he called Got me. Him. And <laughs> then he brought me back in. And she read me the damn riot act. You got into where and you're going to not go. Are you like, no, absolutely not. Shut your mouth. Say yes, sir. And get out of that office. Sometimes you got to do that, man. And uh, so that's a, that'll be a running theme throughout this story of strong women telling me how to live my life and being a hundred percent. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so a few months later off, I went to naps. Uh, that was where I met you and many of the other guests on this podcast uh was lucky enough to try out for and and get to stay and play football with you guys for a little bit which was i mean awesome i i can't even put into words how awesome that was for me and, and we'll we'll definitely get more into that because i gotta i get some things i want to say but 
I actually, you know, a, a fun part of doing this when I start talking to people is like, um, you know, I like the the Mike Stedman quote, look back, don't stare, you know, but it's good to look back. When I was looking back on a few things, I found this old linebacker picture of you, me, Stephen Tripp, oh, uh, you know, Schaefer and Bobby Mack. And it was kind of like, hey, everybody look, but you're like not ready. And it, <laughs> and it really showed everybody's personalities. Yeah. Uh, it was a it was a good one and uh anyways i just had to share that oh that's awesome yeah i'd love to see it but yeah we'll do so anyways then i i don't remember a damn thing about naps academically <laughs> uh i had two things that i was interested in at naps which was football and girls and then one girl in particular you know i met yeah uh a girl named lindsey freeman while i was there uh ended up staying with her all through naps and the academy and then married her and then she passed away and we'll get to that but uh but yeah that was that was the entirety of my focus at naps was like trying to trying to do body by browse and get big like you guys because man i you i had all these thoughts of like man i'm a good enough football player i can do this i can make this happen and then it was like i i ended up sharing a high low locker you know the one one above one below <laughs> i had the one above and jeremy miles had the one below me and it was like holy mackerel is this this is the level of competition at navy it's like, man, I was nuts to think I could do this. Yeah, he played in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, it I God, it was just it was eye opening. And I mean, guys like even guys that didn't end up staying with us. I mean, uh Trip Taylor and Josh Smith and those guys. It's like, I mean, yeah. dudes that are just animals. Yeah, those guys were definitely eroding, both those two. Oh yeah. They yeah. Were, but they, <laughs> they were beasts. Even, <laughs> even aside from God, I what really let me know that I had entered into the next level is, and I've always had a, a smart mouth and I'll, I'll run it. At, I know you with will. No provocation. And uh, bring it. I think old Josh Smith was, was at a peak in a cycle one day and he was just really <laughs> emotional. And he's like, yes. I, I want somebody to fight me. And it was like, I'll fight you, Josh. Nice. And he turned and looked at me and it was like, oh shit, he, he's serious. He's going to fight serious. me. Like, I, I, I just bluffed on a, you know, deuces. Yep. That's exact. That's exactly what that was. But my personality being what it is, it was like, well, no way out, but through. Like, you want to, you want to do this? Let's do it. No way out, but through. That's that's the title already. There you go. But so, anyways, uh, graduated Naps, went up to Annapolis, uh, did plebe summer, then went out for the football team. And in my my one bone to pick with Navy football was with old Captain Joe Speed. Uh, oh, who was man. our coach when we were at Naps? Yeah, and I don't know if you remember, but the walk-ons got broken off that first day, and it was like, let's put you through a shuttle run, like a pro agility bench press, squat, deadlift, and a couple other. Yes, things. I do. Now you bring that up. Yep, I went through and did that, and as soon as I was done, Speed walked, Coach Speed walked over, shook my hand, said, "Yep, sorry, man, that that'll be the last time you play football for Navy." And it was like, well, that sucks. And that, and that hurt. I mean, that hurt my pride a lot, but ultimately that was a leadership decision that he needed to make. Like I wasn't, I just wasn't of a skill set to be able to contribute in a way that would help the team. And so I think I actually ended up pulling a lot of value out of him just being a straight up man about it being like, Hey, you didn't make it. You're not good enough. You're not big enough. You're not fast enough. You're not strong enough. I'm not going to waste your time by making you fight your ass off to maybe be this on the a backup on the scout team by junior year like no yeah. not doing that to you and i'm not going to let you do it to yourself going back to the hall uh so i did that uh joined the rugby team which was a lot of fun uh 
lot of good dudes. A, a great sport. I really, really loved it. I just saw that Navy's rugby team. It, I can't remember if it was the male or female team. Just won like the national championship. Both. Was it, both in the both? same year. Goodness, uh, the, give that give that rugby coach a, a raise. That's awesome. Right? And they they beat Cal, who is it's about the only team in the country that recruits. They get guys from South Africa, guys from Australia, and I mean they. Nice. When I was on a team, they we played them once, and I mean they they beat us like a rented mule. It was it was yeah. bad, and so that just just released a podcast with a guy named Ben Fay. Okay, uh, did one with uh, a guy named Clint Bruce. Yeah, maybe football beat Cal in the hula bowl uh-huh uh way back in the day i think cameron mentioned that i know you listened to that episode yeah anyways that's awesome i gotta grab tie-ins where i can man hey man no i so, get it there's a cow tie any chance any chance we got some <laughs> navy brothers getting a chance to beat somebody from berkeley i'm, I'm all for it yeah um yeah but anyways then i ended up graduating from the academy going marine infantry officer or marine ground and then off to tbs um while I was at TBS is when my my wife, Lindsay, passed. Um, she died in a car accident. Uh, ended up yeah. staying at TBS. And, and I, I will get into as many of these details as you want. But stayed it, with it at TBS. Had a real... And he, I know you always ask about a mentor. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. But my Tell me platoon commander at TBS, Chris Briley, was a incredible man, incredible Marine. Uh, and Was he an infantry guy? No, he was a commo, but okay. he ended up winning a silver star, I believe it was, uh, working out at, oh, I don't remember the name of the patrol base, but there's a book by Jake Tapper. Uh, it's called The Outpost. Yeah. And he was the, I mean, one of the heroes of that battle. Nice. But more than that was just his humanity and leadership and kind of helping me through dealing with all that. Uh, and then... Unfortunately, he was leading a motorcycle ride on the Saturday before Memorial Day, so a week ago yesterday. Uh, and he crashed his motorcycle and died. Damn, dude. So that's Ugh. the good ones go early. Tell him. You're not kidding, man. And that's been that's been weighing heavily on me the last few yeah. last week or What's so. What's his name again? Chris Briley, B-R-I-L-E-Y. And he's out. He's out your way, or out from where you near where you grew up. I and mean, he's out in Dallas. Um, gotcha. You're in Louisville now, but but anyways, he uh, he helped me through it. Helped make sure that I got to be an infantry officer, which was my dream. Uh, did that? Took took a few months off after TBS, be, just because I needed to get my head in the right place. After yeah, tell, all that. I gotta um, ask. You know, a um, little bit about Chris there. Sure. But, you know, you lost your wife, Lindsay, there. In, um, in a freak car accident, what did what did Chris really, like, how did he point you in the right direction? What was the, you know, was there it just kind of like, things. hey, I've been there, or like, what was it? There was a few things. The first, I think, was, well, first off, I mean, we were in the field when it happened. We were at some week-long field exercise. I think we were in the defense, and he was like, hey, we just got a Red Cross message. Your wife's been in a car accident. I don't have any other details, but you need to get in my car. We're driving to Baltimore to the hospital. So, okay, let's go. So off we went. Um, and he was there when the doctor told me, hey, I'm sorry, we lost her. And he just grabbed me and gave me the tightest hug that I think I've ever had in my life. 
And it was the only thing that kept me from hitting the floor or hitting the doctor or doing something crazy. And it was just the feeling of, of, I don't know, bro brotherly love that he had to just hold me tight because I needed it. And then gotcha. it was a few days later, man, he, he was still, I mean, obviously he's the platoon commander. The platoon still got training to do. There's all sorts of stuff going on at TBS. And he calls back and left me a voicemail that I kept for years because I just thought he got it exactly right as a leader. And what he told me is, Hey, don't call me back unless you need me. You can delete this message. You can throw your phone away. I don't care. Just know that if you need me, it doesn't matter what it is. I will be there and I will deliver. And that was the entire message. And it was just knowing that somebody who's your boss and who has, you know, positional authority over you has the, has that, I don't know, level of care to say, Hey, look, I don't care if you respond to this phone call. That's, that's pretty rare for a Marine captain yeah. to call a second lieutenant and say, Hey, do whatever you want, man. Don't call me back. Do call me back, whatever. And that, that sounds silly in the, in saying it now, but at the time it meant a ton to me. Yeah. Not silly. That's good. And then kind of the last thing was just when I got back to TBS, you know, the, the training had con continued without me, obviously. And I had been gone for a couple of weeks and I was way behind. And I took a test, a makeup test that I just wasn't ready for. And I, I failed it, like wasn't even close. And it was that was supposed to be like the last straw. I had to pass that test to get back into training. And it was like, I'm going to get dropped. And he it was the academics instructor, and I don't remember who it was, some captain or major was kind of giving me the the rundown. Hey, you failed because you missed training and you failed. We're gonna have to drop you. And he came in at that time and told that guy, I mean, he pointed at his face, told him to shut his mouth and took me out of that office. And he's like, you're not getting dropped. That guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And it was nice. just like, sometimes the, the Marine Corps is a rule following organization and I, I like it for that. Yeah. But every now and again, there is, a situation that calls for some deviation from that. Hundred percent. He he just had so much confidence in himself as a leader and care for me that he's like, no, I don't care what the repercussions are. That's not happening. This guy's wrong. Get out of this office. This is over. Yeah. So fortunately, like some badasses are able to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it it and really it really set a heck of a tone for me for what it meant to be a leader of men and a marine officer. And it was like, man, that's the standard I have to live up to. Awesome. Uh, so anyways, from there, graduated TBS, did three <clears throat> months at the Martial Arts Center of Excellence, becoming a martial arts instructor, which I'm, I was never any good at it. But so really, I just got you ever it. you ever roll with Stan? Yep. Yeah. Once yeah. he came, he came through and was like, oh, you went to Navy? We should fight. And I was like, <laughs> oh, OK, OK, Josh Smith. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I mean, he just, he took his forearm and I played my face like a fiddle with it. And it was just like, man, this sucks. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough at fighting to get in fights. And he's like, yeah, well, you're an expert on the rifle range, you know, keep them at 500 yards. But, uh, but yeah, I so went and did infantry officer course. That was a butt kicker like it is for everybody. Uh, did you go in the winter or the summer? Off. Summer. Summer. Gotcha. Which was, uh, Jeff Lenore class? No, I was a uh, I was the one after him. After okay, because y'all ended so up serving the same my, battalion. He was in my TBS class, and I went to the the IOC after him. 
Gotcha. But y'all, y'all served in the same battalion? Is that right? Nope. No, I think he was no. one or okay. two of them off. But yep. Okay. But yeah, I was out at I was out in twenty nine palms. Uh, Ooh, that's right. Which it's been so long. Like the three four, I was thinking it was. Yeah, I'm I'm way off. So now you're on okay. palms desert. Yep. Uh, as soon as I got there, I got assigned to weapons platoon, which was awesome for me. I was that's what I wanted. I was excited to have it. So um, is a weapons platoon like when I hear of rifle platoon, weapons platoon. I think of, okay, senior lieutenant gets weapons. Mm -hmm. Is that factual or does it, is it just traditionally? Yes. But in the later end of the war on terror, I mean, anything probably 2011 and after it tended to be entire peer groups would move on at a time. And so you'd get four lieutenants new to the company. Luck of the draw. And it, it was, I think there was some luck of the draw. I, when I'm feeling cocky and pompous, I like to think that maybe they called back and talked to the guys that, infantry officer course and said justin's got his stuff together that nice. almost certainly didn't happen but i like to think maybe it did <laughs> yeah uh, that's my biggest problem cocky and, and pompous so that's I, it I, i've experienced a lot of humility in my life and i keep on learning so that's the thing like i i tell people all the time like my <laughs> my two biggest my two greatest qualities are my excellence and my humility and so i think that goes a long way you know i hear you but uh so anyways head weapons platoon took them to after or well was getting ready to take them to Afghanistan right when they told us, hey, change of plans, we're scrambling the composition of all the platoons and we're going to take four rifle platoons with you know, machine gunners, mortarmen, and assaultmen spread out, sprinkled into each one. And to me, that in the moment felt like, man, I just got fired. Like I had this one sweet job. I really trained for it. I worked hard at it. And now I took a step down to do what the rest of the guys are doing. And had to had to swallow some pride on that, uh, but ultimately, when we got into country, I learned that, and my boss couldn't tell me this prior to that because it was all you know, classified and secret or whatever. But uh, we had one platoon level position for a patrol base, and the rest of the company was going to be operating under a company position, and I was the one that got the patrol base with my platoon. Gotcha. And so that was. It went from feeling like, I, man, I got demoted to feeling like I got the only cool job in this company and I'm the man. Nice. A little and bit of autonomy, right? What was that? A little bit of autonomy away from the head. Absolutely. And... Being away from the flagpole and I mean, being the senior man on a patrol base in, in Afghanistan was a was a cool experience. I mean, one I'm really, really glad I had. And so for the listening group, some people don't know like how a, like a company is broken down. So you got what? Three rifle platoons and a weapons. Yep. Yeah, that's platoon. right. So. Your three Which rifle like, platoons are typically yeah. made up of about 40 to 45 guys that are just just riflemen. So you're thinking just trigger pullers, right? But then you've got in your weapons platoon, you've got a little bit more guys, maybe 60, uh, 20 in each of three specialized groups. So you've got machine gunners, you've got mortarmen, and then you've got assaultmen who are firing shoulder-fired rockets and in charge of demolitions and stuff like that. Yeah, so like typically when you think of weapons platoon, you think of supporting elements. Right. Like the rifle platoons are the main effort. Like, hey, this main effort about to run through a brick wall, mm -hmm. just North style, yeah. uh, and then I need to support it with some weapons platoon. Hey, can you detach what you, you know, some of your supporting elements to these platoons? So when you deployed, all right, we're going to break this down. You're going to split your entire platoon out to all these other platoons oh and we're gonna flip you some riflemen and now we're doing four rifle platoons you deploy you get the only pb and that's where we left off 
Yeah. So, no, thank you for clearing that up. And I'll try to make sure I'm I'm explaining as I go. You don't have to. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't an infantry guy, but I uh, read about it and I'm just making sure that I got my facts straight. Yeah, well, you did plenty of Marine Corps stuff to know about it more than read about it, but sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, we do our we do our deployment. We had a we had a patrol base for about half the deployment, and then ended up uh, turning that over to the Afghan Army, going back to the happen? company position, um, which was interesting because they didn't need me. I mean, at that point, they had been operating at that base for I think about five months. And it's like, well, what about me and my platoon? What are we going to do? And so we ended up replacing a couple of the advisor teams that had been coming in. And so I ended up as the liaison to the Afghan army with my platoon and supporting them in a bunch of operations, uh, which was ultimately it was really, really cool. It was also, you know, caused some, just to be frank, some emotional scarring on me and many of my Marines. Uh, we How was that? I was an advisor. Tell me more. Uh, it was interesting in terms of working with Afghans who their idea of planning was very much let's inshallah, let's, let's just leave it up yeah, to let's God. Drink some freaking tea and like, you'll figure it out, brother. That's it. Uh, <laughs> and that's, I mean, fortunately for me that I, I'm kind of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy anyways. So that, that worked in some ways, but yeah. the real rule at the time in Afghanistan for us was, Hey, don't let the Afghans fail, but let them if there's going to be a success, it needs to be their success, not yours. Yeah. What that turned into was we handled urgent Kazabak when their guys would get hurt. So we would, they would bring us their critically wounded and we would administer care and then call in air to bring in a helicopter to fly them out to get them to the hospital. Uh, and so really what that ended up with was me, <clears throat> my Marines following, you know, 500 yards behind the leading line of troops through several operations and just cycling guys that had gotten blown up or shot and trying to put bodies back together for a while to ultimately hand them off to never hear what happened. And so it was just, there was a lot. Gotcha. That's where the damage was. Yeah. And, and it, it, yeah. And I'll, I'll get, I'll get to more of this later. I know I keep promising more than I'm going to deliver probably, but uh, that's okay. Where that ended up, where that ended up being a struggle or, in my life, which has come up recently is, and I, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but Colorado has recently passed some red flag laws for gun rights. Meaning if you think somebody had, or if somebody has a diagnosis of mental illness in their medical history, then a doctor, a friend, a neighbor, just about anybody that knows them can call the sheriff and say, Hey, I have concerns about this person. And the sheriff then has the rights in Colorado now to come and take their guns away. Mm. Uh, because of the tricky thing or the, I mean, a lot of the damaging things that we all saw, I forced my Marines to go get mental health care when we got back and not like, not suggested, not implied that maybe they should. Most. This is a direct order from your boss to you. You will report at this time to this mental health care provider and you will speak honestly with them. Yeah. And because of that, about 90% of my platoon ended up with PTSD diagnoses. And specifically, I mean, one of my, one of my machine gunners lives about five minutes down the road now, which is awesome. awesome. I mean, he's yeah, a good yeah. friend of mine. Now we, we take care of each other's kids. It's great. And he has a PTSD <clears throat> diagnosis because I made him do that. And now he's subject to that law. And that is something that, you know, you mentioned I'm a 
liaison to the Colorado legislature. And that was something that I went and spoke to the Colorado legislature about and said, Hey, look, nice. I wish I was there for that. I would love to hear you speak about that. It was, it was heavy, man. I, I, I didn't pull a lot of punches and I allowed myself to get emotional, both sad and angry and good for you. Yes. And no, I mean, ultimately it failed. I mean, the bill passed, the governor signed it into law. And so I didn't accomplish my goal. So I don't know if it, maybe I would have, had I taken a different tack, but I don't think so. I think that was a political decision that was going to be made one way or the other. Yeah, I struggled with the same thing. So, so understand. So, anyways, but, um, yeah, got back from yeah. Afghanistan. Thankfully, I didn't have any Marines killed. Had one get shot. Uh, thank God he was fine. Ultimately, fine. And getting shot in the hip sucks, but uh, he's all right. He's yeah. a tough dude. Um, <laughs> Anyways, we got back and they were going to deactivate 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines because they were shrinking the Marine Corps and they didn't need that infantry battalion. And so I went and worked as the assistant operations officer and sort of basically making deals with all the other infantry battalions around the Marine Corps. Like, hey, you want, you you, want these rifles? Come pick them up. Did, did you run into Casey Middleton by chance? Yeah, he was our supply officer. That's or, right. No, he was our officer. I remember him coming into that and, you know, talking about the deactivation at 3-4. Yep. Casey came in, I think, for a relieved logistics officer and ended up right. really stepping in as a hero and, and making that happen. That would not have happened without Casey. Man, I should have called him before this. Like, man, he, <laughs> he'd be a great guy to interview. You should you should do it. I know. That'd be a That's lot a, of fun. Yeah, I think I told him that already. I need to get him on here. Well, I'll harass him too for you. I'll add him to my list. But uh, yeah, so anyways, we ended up doing a deactivation and then off I went to the depot and... That was a that was a really cool experience because I got to be a series commander and I ultimately ended up being the series commander for the they recycle platoon numbers. So I when I was a recruit, I was Fox Company Platoon 2130. And I ended up getting to be the series commander for lead series Fox Company, which included 2130 when I was a series commander back as a captain. And so that yeah, that, was, that was really cool. Interesting. Very cool. Uh, and then Frankly, the, the depot was awesome. Working with drill instructors was was really awesome. You know, I heard you talking to Stedman about that. Or I think it was Stedman. No, it was Eddington, talking to Eddington about it. Edison? Uh, and he was talking about how, man, you got to be really careful not to get into the hat and belt culture and let the drill instructors run wild. And all I wanted to do was let the drill instructors run wild. Because <laughs> like, I'm thinking, man, these guys are awesome. Like these They need it. These, guys these kids awesome. need it. And it's like, these kids suck. Like, let's turn them into Marines. And you turn them into Marines by just being hard. Let go. Yeah. And so I had to find a balance there. And I was not doing a great job at striking that balance. Um, you know, I'd walk You're in. you in trouble? I didn't get in any trouble, thank gosh. But ultimately, what I would do things like, you walk in and these kids are getting what's called IT'd on the quarter deck. So they're making them do push-ups and sit-ups and crunches and mountain climbers and all sorts of silly exercises. Uh, at the front middle of the squad bay where they lived, and I'd walk in, and when the when the series commander walks on the floor, one of the recruits has got to scream "attention on deck," and everybody stands at the position of attention. And I'd look at the recruits that are getting tortured on the quarter deck and say, "Hey, recruits, look at me." I'd look, yes, sir. Do you want me to make them stop? Yes, sir. Please. <laughs> Too bad. Turn on my heel and leave. <laughs> <laughs> And so I'll never forget I, Captain North, or were you major by then? No, I was a captain. Okay. Um, but anyways, so 
I had a lot of fun doing that, but I don't think that I was ultimately going to be supremely successful at being a company commander. So I ended up going to the, uh, going to a course that they offered called McQuiss, which is Marine Corps instructor of water survival. It's the, the highest level water survival training that the Marine Corps has. And it is the Marine Corps seal training, man, was that hard? I mean, it's a three week, it's a three week course, but there was a two week prep course for it. So five for five weeks. I was spent every day in the pool or the ocean swimming and just got my ass kicked. <laughs> okay. So now I gotta, I gotta step in and ask some questions Sure, sure. because I think, uh, so you were 22nd company of the Naval Academy. I was 21st. Yep. So we went through the same plebe summer together. We were in the yeah. same group and we had this one guy and I can't believe I remember it. His name was Kuiper. I think. Yep. Maybe. And he, that's what he, he went through that. Yep. And he never showed up about it. And he's like, all right, guys, you motivate me. Um, like, he's the guy like pushing the, the you know, the glasses up on his forehead. And you're like, what the heck, dude? Yep. Like, shut up about McQuiz. This is a legit deal, huh? Uh, so infantry officer course was three months long. And it's the, they say it's the hardest course that the Marine Corps offers. Yeah. Had McQuiz been as long as infantry officer course was, I would have chosen to do IOC again rather than do McQuiz again. Gotcha. And that that's also because I mean, like I said, I'm five, seven and I'm fat. Like I am not a <laughs> missile in the water. I am a bowling ball right. trying to swim. So you got out of your comfort zone. Did Dude, a really tough thing. Yeah. It, it came down to me. I, I have a mantra that I tell myself I, it happens even even today, most every day. I and I, excuse my language, but I might be a pussy and I might be a retard, but I'm not the most retarded pussy to ever do this. <laughs> And it's like, that's, that's I like it. I'm gonna start what I have to tell myself, myself so I don't quit. Nice. Cool. So McQuist. Yeah. It's a tough so, gig. So I did that and that me. got me the position to be the XO and then the CO of what's called instructional training company at the depot, which means I ran water survival for all recruits and then all the academics. And I ran the martial arts uh, training on the depot. Gotcha. And so that was a, that was a cool job. Uh, cool. Cause I got to work with some awesome Marines that were phenomenal, but, uh, also gave me some time to prepare for what was next. And I, I, my body was starting to fall apart. You know, my back was hurting every, my knees were hurting. Things just weren't right. And I, frankly, I lost a lot of the passion for being a Marine officer. And the next step for me would have been to be a company commander of an infantry company. And that's not a job that you can do if your whole heart's not in it. Yeah. I mean, it, you just can't, it wouldn't be right to the Marines that you're leading to not have your whole heart and soul into it. And I wasn't there. And so I, I had to decide what was next. And so spent a lot of time studying, uh, studied for and took the LSAT, uh, the law school aptitude test or the law school admissions test. I'm not sure which, uh, scored well on that kind of similar to what I did on the SAT. You know, I, I did really well on the standardized test, but have a, a terrible GPA. I mean, I think my GPA from the Academy was 2.1. Um, not, not setting the world on fire, not impressing any schools. So I, I just had no idea with a 2.1 GPA, the numbers for getting into law school. It's like, Oh, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to go to Tijuana tech to be a lawyer. And <laughs> like that, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's fair. I probably earned that. But then I've got an LSAT score that puts me in the top 10% of test takers. So it's like, well, I'm not sure where this is going to go. So yeah, I, it's just where your focus goes, right? Like it's what's important. 
you know, if it's important, you're going to do good. It's just yeah. I mean, I, I'm hesitant to say that academics weren't important because the truth is I should have tried harder. I knew I should have tried harder, but my own, yeah, but your focus was probably spread a little bit wider. Certainly. Than <laughs> strictly academics. Right. Right. It's yep. probably more of like being a good dude, building relationships. Yep. Maybe slid on some academics, but absolutely. And I and I've paid for that each time. You know, I was I was focused on beer and girls in high school and got a terrible GPA and ended up in Annapolis and had to take, you know, physics and electrical engineering and thermodynamics and man did I suck at that stuff. So and so my GPA was terrible, but then sure enough, got a good LSAT score. Applied, I ended up applying to 30 law schools, which is crazy. It, it's yeah, a sure pretty involved is. process to do one of those. Why law? What, what made you want to go that, direct, or that direction? You know, again, this is one of those situations where I've got a whole bunch of high-minded answers where it's like, oh, I wanted to seek justice and help others obtain their rights and, you know, vitiate the Constitution and all this. But Bottom line up front. Bottom line up front is that it was a job that paid well that I thought I'd be good at. Gotcha. Uh, I agree. So you were always a pretty good speaker. Like when you had, you know, something in your back pocket, you would divulge it in a way that made a whole lot of sense. Uh, but it took a little bit of time because yeah. it was convincing. That's a fact. So. I'm uh, I, I appreciate you phrasing it that way. I think I would tell you to shorten it and say that I'm a bullshit artist. Uh, <laughs> so I was trying to be like you right there. I appreciate it. No, you nailed it. You did great. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so off to law school, I, I applied to 30 schools, uh, got into a, a couple of good ones, not a ton. Uh, got into Notre Dame. I think I was, I got into Emory and George Washington. And those were kind of the, the three that I was thinking of at the last minute. And frankly, a big part of what sent me to Notre Dame was my experience uh, in South Bend on a couple of big days when, when you had a big day there. Uh, and I, because I got to get out there for both of those. Uh, actually, the second time you guys beat them in South Bend, your class, our class, uh, was one of my, one of the best experiences of my life because my old man flew from California to Annapolis and we drove together from Annapolis to South Bend, watched that game. Nice. Ended up like, I'm like holding my, hugging my dad. I got tears running down my face. You know, just it's that experience. I, I got goosebumps talking about it. I can only imagine. You just gave me a few. And then what it ultimately ended up being, which was really cool. And I'll send you the picture if you're interested. I, uh, in 2019, when Navy played in South Bend at Notre Dame, that was my, uh, that was my third and final year of law school. And I got to be the veteran of the game. 2019. Go down on the, go down on the field, you know, get on the big screen. 2019. Yeah. Seriously? Mm-hmm. I may have been there. Really? So was Ross uh, a GA or no, uh, the company, whatever, when, when he comes back, I, I didn't see, I didn't see him, but so, so Ross got me tickets on the sideline in Notre Dame. Really? Around yeah. that time. It was either 20. Was it in the rain? I'm pretty sure it was, was it 20, 2019. What's that? Was it raining or not? It was not. Okay. Then yeah, that would have been the game. So I was the veteran of the game for that beautiful. game, that game before the game. Dude, missed you. Yeah. Right, yeah it happened. <laughs> But uh, what was funny about that was I have got this uh, this Navy jacket that I'm wearing and they the athletic staff ended up telling me for Notre Dame. They're like, hey, sorry, man, you're the Notre Dame veteran of the game. You can't wear your Navy jacket. And I'm like, in, in true Justin form, 
Exactly. You know what? I'd be happy to take this jacket off and pop. They got Navy Superman on underneath and I'm ready to go. <laughs> and so they're like, you know what? Just keep the jacket on, man. <laughs> so, so I got to do that. You got like a video of that or anything? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, you got Yeah, you definitely got to share that. With me. I will. I'll, I'll put that, that over to you. I'll figure out how to tag that onto this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have any social media really. So it'll be good to get it out there. Good. But, uh, yeah, anyways, then I graduated law school and moved out to Colorado. Graduated during COVID. 2020 was my, like, we graduated in 2020. By graduated, I mean, had a Zoom call from home to be like, congratulations, you're done with law school. <laughs> uh, moved out okay. to Colorado and started practicing um, and hit some hurdles. Um, and I mean, like, ran square into the hurdles like I didn't even jump. And what that, what I mean by that is I went ahead and failed the bar exam twice. And it was like, oh, oh no, I bought a house. I'm trying to start a new career. I think things are going well. I got this awesome resume where it's I conned my way into Annapolis. I conned my way into Notre Dame Law School. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make something of myself. And then I failed the bar exam once. I was working for a, a, a nationally known firm and they're like, all right, no problem. You just gotta pass it the next time. And I failed it again the second time and had to go into my boss. And, and I mean, that's, what an example. And I thought of Joe Speed a lot. And it was like, nope, the way that you do this is you you go direct and you say, this is what's going to happen. And so I walked right into my boss and said, hey, I didn't do well enough and I failed the exam. I don't know what happens next, but if whatever you got to do, I understand you got to do it. He said, OK, let me let me call, you know, higher headquarters for the firm, which was in Philadelphia. Uh, he called and came into my office, was like, sorry, man, you're fired. OK. And. At that time, I came home and my wife was pregnant with our first child that mm. we had been trying for six years to have and had finally done IVF and spent, you know, 50, 60 grand trying to have this baby. And I got a new house and I just got fired from my job and I don't have a license because I can't pass this test. Mm. Uh, uh oh. Yeah. No, like, I feel you, dude. Like, I went into the oil field after I got out. And I got, you know, laid off uh, when it went down. And I was just like, what the heck am I going to do? Yep. It was, it was tough. Uh, but ultimately what it ended up being was really good for me. You know, I went and joined a very small law firm doing construction defect law, you know, with problems in, in commercial and residential buildings and suing people for that. And learning those fights. Uh, I had that job. I could do it while I studied for the bar. I ended up taking the bar, passed it on my third try shockingly ended up in the top five percent of test takers that year so i i have i have no idea i mean it's a crapshoot man that test is <laughs> were you using long. chat gpt for that yeah i should I hear, I heard chat can uh can knock it out so that's well, it's probably a better lawyer than me then but uh just put it on your phone next time yeah. <laughs> um but so anyways so passed and then actually just stayed with that firm until October of this last year when I changed firms for the third time. And it'll be the last time I changed for quite some time. Uh, awesome. I got picked up as the third lawyer with a very small firm uh, that does civil litigation generally, which is what I do that, you know, no, no specialty yet, but just civil litigation generally, but they also do about a third of our practice is political consulting, election law, campaign finance law, and, we work in a lot of political spaces and that's just 
it, it is right up my alley in terms of things I'm interested in. And so that's what was your major at the academy? Political science. That's what I thought. You know, said best. and it's, and it, it, the truth is it's just what I'm interested in. Like, I, I think politics are really fascinating. I think they're really important. And I, I, I follow that stuff anyways. And then now getting to represent some clients that are nationally known yeah. is wild. I mean, it's really cool. I'm sure you can't release those nationally known clients. I'm sure you can't release some of those nationally known clients, but. Uh, what, well, there's, I, so I have permission to release one, which is we represented Lauren Boebert, uh, Congresswoman in her recount election. So she won the regular election and then, but only won by, I think 480 votes. And then, so they did an, a recall, cost the taxpayers of Colorado all kinds of money. Uh, we pushed through that recall election. And on the eve of the election, she hired our firm because her other firm wasn't getting it done, I guess. I, I don't know those details. That's that's the beauty of a small firm. Very flexible. I mean, it's... For sure. It really is. And I ended up spending about the next 14 days driving all over the state of Colorado, sitting in little clerk and recorder's offices while they're doing recount elections got to do all that. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, that is like where the rubber meets the road of politics and election law and getting to do that was really cool. Uh, and she ended up winning by 18 more votes than she won by in the first one. So I guess that's what <laughs> our small margin right there. Votes. Yeah. But, but yeah. Cool. So, so when you walk out of the, the door, um, at work, I don't know if it's a door, if you're at home or whatever, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, and you look back on a successful day, what do you see? It's different every day, but I think that's why I like it. It's okay. I get, but I guess if there's a unified thing, it is clients are glad that they hired me. Like regardless gotcha. of, cause a lot of times, I mean, we'll get hired and I, I mean, this is a case I'm dealing with now is get hired into an unwinnable situation and told, Hey, limit the harm. Just make this as, do the best you can but the Correct. facts and the, the facts are that what they are the law is what they are yeah like just do your best man and if i can walk out at the end of the day and a my wife doesn't want to kill me and my clients are happy with me then i i'm <laughs> i'm feeling like a winner i think you got your priorities straight a and b well yeah i got a i have a very dangerous wife so i'm sure you do i mean with your personality i'm i'm you know it, it takes we? a strong takes a strong woman <laughs> Hundred percent. But yeah. Well, cool. Story. That's your story. Um, you mentioned the mentor. Uh, what? Uh, you mentioned some brotherhood earlier. Um, you know, with the Marine Corps, so what attracted you to the Marine Corps? Um, you did some Navy football. Yeah. You, know, you like that? Did some rugby brotherhood uh in law is there a brotherhood there you know there can be and there should be and i'm sure there is in some places but i haven't found it yet gotcha. and why do you think so you know it, it's hard to say but i think a lot of it comes down to ego and it, that's certainly a problem for me and something to keep on top of but same. I think in order to be a good lawyer, you need to you need to have a little bit of that, some some self confidence, some bordering on egomani being an egomaniac. Yeah, and so I think that that makes it really hard to 
reach out. You know, I, I think back to Mike Stedman's episode that you did with him where he talked about, you know, he got to his fleet unit and tried to separate himself from the academy guys. And then when those guys showed up, he felt just this outpouring of love and support. And he, he really thrived under that sort of brotherhood. I guess I'm in the early stages of that, yeah. but I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is build a team. Uh, I got a good friend from law school who I think I just convinced my bosses to hire her and bringing her out from Kansas to come work for us. And it's like, so you know what, if the brotherhood isn't there because of the personality differences and the, the job and all that, it's like, if it's missing, let's build it. And so yeah. I think that it doesn't exist now for me, but I think it's going to. What's it take to build a brotherhood? And that can be in anything, you know, I use the brotherhood term just because Navy football uses that, um, yeah. you know, and, but there's, there's different places and there's brotherhoods and sisterhoods all throughout the country. What, what creates a brotherhood in your mind? Uh, I think probably two things and it would be commitment and reliability. Boom. It's the commitment you are, you're committed to each other, just whatever it, whatever the group is, you're committed to that group and the other members of the group. And as far as reliability, it's, that really gets into the, a similar thing, but it's slightly different because when I say reliable, what I mean there is when I say I'm going to do something, when I say I'm going to do something on behalf of the group or for a group member, I, I want to be as close to a fire and forget weapon as you can have. Once I tell you it's done, check it off your list because you trust me and you know that I'm reliable. And as soon as I awesome. deviate from that in my life, I'm not reliable. You can't rely on me. It's not a good team because teammates need to lean on each other. I mean, you... yeah, I, I, I run a, a small factory and mm -hmm. I don't name the company because it's against the rules. Uh, but every time I do an orientation, I go through the company's got values and competencies, right? And one of the competencies is called instills trust. And I think that's a good summary. Yeah. Of, of those two characteristics is trust. No, I think that's right. And I don't think you can have that brotherhood, that team, that cohesive unit without trust. And I think that reliability and commitment are exactly what builds that. So I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. Um, you listen to a few episodes. Um, and every time I hear something good about the Cameron Marshall episode, I get excited. Yeah. You got excited about that. What stood out in that episode for you? Uh, Other than like, obviously both prior Marines go to naps, go to the Academy. Get yeah. Out. And I mean, the truth is, and I, I probably should have told Cameron this explicitly, but I think he knows it innately is that I look up to him. I'm not only because he's a full foot taller than me, but because he's a hell of a man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's a lot of that, but I think, Interestingly, what stood out to me is the one answer that he gave that I disagreed with. And it's like, I think I yelled at my phone. It's like, that's bullshit, Cameron. He told me that paying the price of admission doesn't come with a return. There's no return on that investment. And man, he could, he could not be more wrong. Yeah. Well, he also was in a pretty tough space, right? And yeah. Even myself, like when I started these episodes until now, like when I started the episodes, the way I thought was probably a little bit different than I think today, which is the beauty of it. Yeah. But um, no, I hear you with that too. Well, me, though, and, and maybe I can put some meat on those bones a little bit because I don't want to just let it hang out there that Cameron's, Cameron's wrong and he's an asshole and that's all that there is. <laughs> Although that's true. Hey, it's, it's okay to debate, right, lawyer? <laughs> that's it. There but, you go. 
where I think that the return is, is that when you've paid, and, and we'll get to my view on what the price of admission is, but when you've paid whatever that price is, the return on it, it's really hard to quantify and put your finger on. And so I, I get why you'd feel like it isn't there. But what I think it is, is it's, it's that reliability. It's instills trust. It's that there are people that know that he has paid that price, that you've paid that price. And they know that no matter what happens, they can rely on you because they've paid that price too. They've gained admission to the same place others have. And I think that totally different story, totally different journey. Absolutely. Similar concept. But it like, it deviates, but it, it, Ultimately, it comes. It all back. comes back together. Yeah, yeah. To, it's like yeah. I can rely on that guy. It's like I know what. If I know, you know, Tony and I, you and I are both Marine officers, and so we can fall back on our Marine Corps brotherhood and our Naval Academy brotherhood, our NAPS brotherhood, and I. So I know so many of the things that you've been through. I mean, I don't think we talked for almost a decade, and then it was like, I, I found out about this podcast and reached out to you just because I wanted to talk to you, but at the same time, yeah. If I didn't need it something, I, I'm confident that I could just call you out of the blue and be like, hey, bro, I need a place to stay. I need this. I need whatever I need. And I I'm, I know you'd be there for me because I know that I'd be there for you. And there's just no question about it. And that to me is, is the return on investment that you get for paying the price of admission. If that makes 100%. sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, good. as much as I love the episode with Cameron, the one thing about it is I was like, man, he's so wrong, which feels so good for me to be able to say. <laughs> uh, hopefully he can uh, hear this. I don't know. It's hard to get a hold of I'll, I'll text him after this and tell him I called him. I'm pretty sure it's, it's pretty purposeful for him. I know he like deletes all social media so he doesn't like blow up on somebody because he gets all pissed off about stupid stuff just like me. Yep. So, uh, anyways, uh, hopefully I'll get it to him. Yeah. Um, so did, um, you talked about your best mentor. Um, did you ever have another good coach or, um, someone in your life that was extremely impactful other than, um, what captain, captain Briley, captain. Yeah. Bradley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny that I only played with him for a year, but you were there with me is Bobby, Bobby McLaren. Uh, nice. and I, I'm, at first, I was a little embarrassed to even say that because the truth is at NAPS, I, I don't think I was ever closer than third string to being on the field except for special teams and and farting around pretending to be the kicker when when they needed a backup and things like that. But uh, <laughs> Hey, dude, you could kick. It, yeah, I mean, sometimes. But uh, what stood out about Bobby and has stuck with me to this day, even though I it's not somebody I'm in touch with, although I – Obviously, I need to get back in touch with him because so if he's my answer. I also I also reached out and shame on me because I do memories, but I last minute like tried to pull some in, and he was the first one to respond to that. That's so funny. And I've been asking him some other questions because I want to go like help him out at his clinic, and he mm-hmm. just like doesn't respond to anything. But yeah. That one time I was like, hey, I'm about to talk to Justin North. He responds. That's awesome. Oh, that means a lot so, to me. But uh, awesome. I think. I think why that means so much to me and why he's, he is so important to me is because his view of leadership and the man that he is, is what I aspire to, where it's just pure five, five-star heart, right? Like just nothing but being a good dude with an unlimited amount of heart. 
if you can do that, there's nothing that you can't accomplish. And I mean, awesome. you, I remember when I found out I got into Annapolis, it was far enough before he graduated that I was still able to watch him play the last few games of his senior year with that giant ass club on his hand and watching him as a former linebacker at the time, thinking I was never going to play football again, watching him play linebacker with his hair on fire was like, man, that is how I wanted to play. Like, I don't know that I was ever talented enough to deliver that, but that was the exact that he played the way that I thought about myself as a player. And he coached the way I thought about myself as a player. He lives his life the way I think of myself. And, and so I, you know, Bobby, if you're listening, but if you're not, I'll, I'll call you one of these days. Uh, you, I'll give you his number. You set the standard for what it means to be a Navy football player, for what it means to be a man, is, is you just awesome. light your hair on fire and go as hard as you can, and nothing can stop you if that's true. Awesome. Good story. I think everybody needs something like that. Everybody yeah. needs someone to like look up to, emulate, um, aspire to be like, and when uh, you can find those, talk to them, learn from them, um, you just grow so much faster. And I, I've been so, but you got to seek that out at the same time. So. I, I think so. I, I mean, think. I, I do seek it out, but even in the times when I don't, I, I, I'm so fortunate that people just show up in my just life. Comes around. Yeah. And I, whether that's, whether that's God or whether that's dumb luck or some combination thereof, I don't know. But the truth is it, when I need, when I need the right person or the right leader, or the right mentor, they show up for me. And that's funny how that works. It really sure is. I think it's the second time I said that. Yeah. Today. Well, that's something about it. Awesome. How do you remain self-aware? Like, how do you reflect? How does that work for you? Um, I'd say probably two things. One is like we like we've said several times. I got a I got a badass wife who has no hesitation to tell me when I've stepped over some lines. What's her name? That, that certainly keeps me self aware. Um, but I'd say aside from aside from Amy really looking after me, um, I've started doing a good bit of writing both professionally and as it's part of my job, but also as, as lame as it sounds, I mean, like essentially keeping a diary. I mean, I know you call it jour journaling is the, you know, the formal fancy way to say it, but it's like, dear, dear diary, here's what's going on. Good. Uh, and I've started doing that just about every night. And it's usually about a paragraph and I delete it in the morning. I read it again in the morning and I hit delete. And it just don't delete it, dude. It crystallizes my thoughts and it keeps me from looking back on it and criticizing I got you. myself for not accomplishing I got you. the goal I set. Yeah, it's that whole, you know, it's okay to look back, just don't stare. I that, and that's it. That's why I hit I do that sometimes too. Like the next morning, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to delete that because I don't want to hang on to that. I want to move on. Yeah. And that's yeah. and that's a big part of it for me is I, I get I get supremely emotionally invested in everything because, I mean, that's part of my personality and that's part of, I think, what makes me successful. But it also <laughs> is part of where I struggle. You know, I represent True. I probably got 35 or 40 clients that I, you know, whether they're all mine or they work for their, my boss's clients that I do work for, but no matter what, man, on, on all but two of them, and I certainly won't tell you which two, cause that would be wrong, but all but two of them, I am emotionally invested. I want them to win. I am passionate about them winning. Yeah. And that's hard to let go of on some days. 
And so that's part of the part of the deleting it too, as a self reminder of, hey, stay self aware that these are your clients, not your family, not your. These are this yes. is your job, and try every to, time I, every time I get in trouble, I just care too much. I'm like too emotionally invested. I'm just like I need to. It's not that important, dude. That's it. Like, that's it. And, and right. that that recognition, I think, is something I struggle with because, man, I just I want to go all in all the time, and there's only I've only got a limited number of brain cells, I mean, more limited than most, and so I got to make them count, you know. <laughs> more limited than most. So, do you think you've lost a few brain cells uh, at Naps knocking heads? I'm pretty sure you're probably one of the guys that broke a helmet or two. Yeah, I think I broke two of them during our time at Naps, but uh, nice. I don't think I think that was more being the nail, not the hammer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, who uh, was the hammer? Remember, Blake Blake Carter hit me harder than I've ever been hit in my life, and I nice. I hope he's up in heaven reliving hits like that because damn, sure he is. I mean, it, he was one of the most pure hitters of it. Him and Jeremy, and and not to not to take anything away from you, Tony, but and, Cra and Dude, Craig. No. Yeah, Jeremy, my perspective out of those three, mm -hmm. Jeremy Miles laid the wood harder than anybody. Yep. Yeah, the, the, part that, the part that bummed me out that he didn't bring up on his episode when he talked about playing against UMass in the bowl game and then going to UMass is when they had some highfalutin quarterback tried to sneak into the end zone and he blew his helmet off on the goal line. And I still remember that hit. And I was, yeah. oh, I was like, oh, he's going to talk about it. And then he just – he. He got too many hits like that in his background. Right? Yeah, Jeremy was one of those guys that made the whole crowd go, oh. All the time. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so some of the hard hitters it just really blew me away. But I think more than the hitting at Naps and playing with you guys at Naps, it was the athleticism. And so there was, I mean, there's guys like Jeremy and Blake and those guys that are just freak athletes. But there's also yeah. some people with, another gear and i don't know how many people have brought it up i think bobby talked about it a little bit but i remember you in the lackawanna game uh oh at very end of the game i think they were driving for the winning score and you snagged a pick six to house it and to win the game and you know i remember that because it was my a, it was my 21st birthday nice but you know you're the second one to bring that up and i can't remember that Oh yep. my gosh, I can't remember that. Yeah. I I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the details. You, you were covering the flat on the far side from the Navy sideline, and they threw a a high flat route, and you went up, snuck right in front of the out swinging route, picked it off, and just went. And Sounds why cool. I remember that <laughs> wasn't just the timing. I mean, winning a game is great, but it, against Lackawanna Junior College at Naps, it's like that's like as much as, as much fun as that was. That's not really a high point of my life. But it was watching somebody, and in this case, you, have the ability to, because of the moment in the game, to change your own ability. It's like you were faster in that moment than you were the rest of the game. You were, you were better in that moment. And it's like, that's a gear that not everybody has, man. Mm. I wish I could remember, remember that event. Um, you know, if I watch the film, I might remember it. It's just yeah. the way. Yeah, maybe it's better if you don't. Now you can just hear it. You can just hear me kissing your ass. About oh it. yeah, just live the glory uh, days. Well, actually, that's also probably not a good thing too, because it'll probably blow up my ego, and I'll get all yeah. super confident, and I'll probably screw something up. So. Yep, without a doubt, <laughs> pride comes before the fall, as they say. True. So I'll just keep listening to Jocko and Ego, and I'll be all right. So. Yeah, there you go. All right. 
Uh, let's keep going. Um, let's uh, tell me more about you know growth view capital. Um, All right, something that so, you know you're you're a part of. Uh, something you're building. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I I'm less part of the building aspect of it than I am just a a strap hanger uh, helping out. But my the guy I played middle linebacker with in high school is named Samson Jagoris. Uh, he ended up after high school, he went and he got recruited, played linebacker at Western New Mexico, uh, ended up starting as a freshman there and realizing that it wasn't the challenge he was looking for. He left and walked on at CU Boulder and ended up being on their team for three years, earning a scholarship. Did you say CU Colorado? Yep. Yeah. Play, not, not I mean, I'm from Texas. Like if, if you told me CU Boulder, you know, 10 years ago, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Yep. Junior college? Okay. But Coach Prime, now you know it. Oh yeah, but it's uh, changing the culture. That's Lots it. Of people walking off. Well, I mean, and and Samson ended up he ended up playing fullback, even though he played linebacker with me, and he ended up making the block that allowed them to score a touchdown when they knocked off Oklahoma, who was number one in the country. Nice. It's like so. I mean, there, he was a he was a big high impact player there, but it, that's less important. That's only because you've got the football connection. What Samson has become is an entrepreneur here in Colorado. Uh, and yeah. growing a national reputation and awesome growth view started and, and he can certainly tell this story better than I can, but my limited understanding of the history is it started with purchasing and financing multifamily home acquisition or multifamily properties. So condos, apartments, whatnot, um, and raising money for purchasing those and improving them and managing them. But, he has realized recently in several conversations that we are nearing the greatest wealth transfer in human history as the baby boomer generation retires and starts selling off their business. And a, yeah. a shocking number of those folks that are going to be selling their businesses don't have a plan for what they're going to do with it. Sure. They don't, they don't have heirs. Or That's why kids. private equity is doing so well, just like what That's it sounds it. like is going on here. Right. And so Samson has created a company called Clearly Acquired. And what they do is he's actually targeting service academy graduates who go to business school or have business experience, not unlike yourself, sir, uh, who can target a market and find a service industry job. So think like HVAC, electricians, or, or some other things kind of within that service I've got industry. the best maintenance crew in all of my company. Awesome. And anyways, so what they'll do is once you find the business, Tell me more. you find that business and you say, I want to own it. And he gets a private equity raise together through GrowthView and allows you to walk in with a team to support you to tell that person that's been running that business who's now in his 60s or 70s, hey, you want to retire in 60 days? And he'll raise the money and he'll buy, he'll let you buy them out. And what differentiates them from a lot of other private equity companies that are doing stuff like this is he gives the operator a significant amount of equity in the company with a plan to to buy out clearly acquired in like three to five years. It's like, hey, you can own this business. You can, you're not just a glorified employee for the private equity fund, but you're a you have an ownership stake. So go and win and succeed in this role. That's yeah, a good man, lawyer pitch right there. I haven't done a ton of work for entrepreneurs. This business is going to work. This is gonna take off. Nice. And it's it's really cool being a a small part of the team there and getting to work the the mergers and acquisition legal side. Uh, 
and then also help with business and entity formation and stuff like that. Gotcha. So you work with him, for him, with the legal side of it. Right. Right. That's right. Cool. And so, yeah, it's it's awesome. And I mean, it pushes my boundaries, too, because uh, the truth is I a great deal of what I do in my practice is litigation, you know, lawsuits and fighting over fighting over lawsuits. And that's it. But this merger and acquisition side and, you know, doing doing deals, it's so different than litigation because you want both sides to win instead of just it's winners versus losers. And yeah. I, it's pushed me to be a better lawyer to learn and excel in those roles. But learn the win-win, right? That's it. Versus win-loss. Especially when you're working with and for somebody that, I mean, he was a, a groomsman in my wedding. It's my, he's my, been my best friend for more than 20 years. It's, it's a level of trust that most people don't ever get with a friend. And then getting to work with a friend that you have that level of trust for is, it's so fun, but it's also, it's like, man, let's talk about lighting your hair on fire. Like you want to go win for somebody, yeah, go win. That's the last you. person you want to let down, right? That's it. And so I never, and I will do everything in my power to never let that happen. And he knows that. Nice. And that's a good relationship because a lot of folks will take advantage of that type of relationship, yeah. which I a hundred percent know without talking to you in 10 years that you're not that type of guy. Right. No, and I the so, truth is he's a good enough man that he would read he would read through if I if if I were being fake in that, he would know. Call it. You out. And it would never work. Yeah. He, That's a beautiful he, relationship he, though. He would beat my ass like I stole. <laughs> and, and what like at jujitsu or like what was that? What? Like at jujitsu, like we don't go to the Nope. You know, just go to, go to the gym or Yeah, he so as an entrepreneur, one of the businesses he owns is a gym. So he's nice. certainly in better shape than I am. But uh, I think just more than that, it, we the kind of relationship we have is we'd never stop being friends. But I would if, if he did me wrong, I would have no hesitation to punch him right in the mouth. And I know that he would do the same for me. <laughs> That's a good relationship. Yeah, it sounds it. sounds brutal, but at the same time, like. That's what it takes. Well, it's have either it. it's either get hit in the mouth or or lose your best friend. Yeah. It's like I'd rather get I'd rather get punched every day and twice on Sunday than lose my best friend. Yeah, dude. But you know, sometimes that punch in the face like keeps you in check, mm -hmm. keeps you true to what you're doing, and um, that's a pretty fun story, you know, between you guys and um, Growth View Capital. Um, pretty cool. Sounds good. I might actually, you know, I'm gonna go take a look at the website. Yeah, it's called uh, www.thegrowth v u e view.com right yep that's right cool awesome all right i've drawn this out long enough uh what's your price of admission man dude i gotta tell you man i struggled to answer this question and i don't i i don't struggle to answer a lot of questions so i'm sure um but where i keep coming back to is obviously the price of admission is whatever you have to do or pay to get access into any group or space just generally. But to me, what it means is I keep coming back to the Mattis quote when he took over first Marine division. It's, yes. It, Give me uh, some Mattis. I love Mattis. Demonstrate to the world that there is no better friend and no worse enemy than a U.S. Marine. And to me, as long as I live in such a way that 
everybody who meets me and interacts with me know that there is knows that there is no better friend or no worse enemy then I'm going to, that is paying the price, is making sure people know that is my price of admission to whatever room or group that I try to get into. But what also goes with that, and this is something that I kept thinking of, and I, it's not a direct answer to your question, so excuse me for rambling a little that's bit, but... That's fine. Ramble all the, you know. It's... Yeah, ramble. The price of admission is never lower than the first time you get to pay. Is And by that, I mean when you're an unknown commodity and you're trying to just make Navy, make the team, make the football team at naps. I mean, that's a great example. There is a cost, there's a barrier of entry. And I, and I paid that and I got to be on that team with you guys. And so I got to have a little bit of a taste of that brotherhood and feel what that meant to be on that team. But then we talked about body by brass. And I remember the amount of work that guys like you, and I watched Jeff Lennar and Jordan Eddington and those guys going into the weight room. And I mean, beating themselves to death every day in the weight room. And I didn't pay that price. I worked out, I worked out pretty hard, but I knew in my heart that I wasn't giving it everything I had. And so when ultimately I didn't make the team at the academy, I knew, well, I didn't pay the price. I, I knew what the price was. I watched other guys paying it and I didn't pay. And so now I don't get to be part of that team, that brotherhood, that group anymore. You know, I still am friends with those guys. I'm still friends. I, I still have great relationships with a ton of those dudes, but I didn't pay the price because the entry price was lower than the ultimate price to continue to be part of that. I never did fourth quarters with you guys because I didn't make it that far. So the price keeps going up. Price keeps going up. And it's, it's not just admission. <laughs> it's in the moment, how you act and how you carry yourself. You know, you make a big play or you make a mistake and it's how you act and how you react and how you respond. It's how you treat others. It's how others, how people in the group see you treating people that are in the group and how people in the group see you treat people that are outside of the group. And all of that goes into the increased price of admission to stay in the group and in the room. Yeah. And that's what, that's what Navy football taught me. Honestly, it's like not being a Navy football player, but I learned that from you guys because I watched you guys pay a price that I took a few months of half-assing it and it cost me having that. And like, yeah. and who knows, maybe I wouldn't have made the team anyways, but now I, I have no doubt in my mind that that's why I didn't make it. And that to me has set me on a path of success for the, the rest of my own life because I know that I, I can't take one playoff or I'll lose. I did, nice. and I, I missed out on that, and you guys didn't, and so you got to be no, not true, man. I've experienced it too. Yeah, I, I, be I, I believe I, you. I, <laughs> I've half-assed it a couple times, and I paid the price. Yeah, uh, but the price of entry, um, I think you know, a couple other people said that, and you know, it's just that. All right, so now I'm a part of something kind of cool, and uh, I didn't give it everything that I had. Like, it's it's a universal thing, I think, you know, across. But at the same time, like, there's so many things nowadays. Like, you got to focus your energy on what's important. Even though there's this really broad set of groups we can try to belong to or, you know, we can at different admissions that we have to pay for different things. That's why I really like that Mattis quote and have really adopted it as my own personal motto is because if I do that, if I if there is no better friend and no worse enemy than me, then I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband yeah. and I'm a good litigator. I'm a good lawyer. I'm a good 
anything that I do, as long as if I'm a good friend to others, they'll take care of me. And if you go the other way, and that's a, that's a choice that everyone can make. You can choose to be on the good side or the bad side. You choose to go on the wrong side of me. I'm going to do everything in my power to make you regret it. <laughs> I, I laugh, but at the same time, I'm the exact same way. So, yep. Sucks. But that's, it does. Su it does. Uh, that's my biggest weakness. My biggest weakness is forgiving. Yeah. No, I'm so. with you there, but it also is one of your biggest strengths, I would imagine, because it's one. Of I agree because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't get all pissed off because someone said something to me and I wanted to accomplish it and I did. Um, and after I do, I like to rub it in. Yep. And that's the problem. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, listen, I, I got fired from one of the biggest law firms in the country. You don't, you don't think I'm looking actively for those lawyers because I want to get them in court and I want to pull their pants down yes. in front of a judge and I want to spank. That's the best team ever. That's it. It's like Navy football. That's it. Exactly right. And so. Ah, oh, man. It's a good talk, man. You, you too, man. You're, you're good at this, Tony. You started off a little. You started off a little shaky, if we're being honest. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure, definitely do. I always start off shaky in anything I do. So. Well, I, and I don't mean in this, but I mean in like the first handful of episodes that you. Oh did. gosh, yeah, I feel bad for Austin. I need to get Austin back on because, like, I wasn't even listening to that guy when I was talking to him. I was like thinking about what should I ask him before, yeah. I even, you know, yeah. Well, he was like telling me. I was like, the thing about Austin is though he's he's such a pro at he can carry any conversation. I mean, Cam's kind of the same yeah. way. But where I saw, I think you, where you're, for my view, when you flipped the switch was with the Mike Matthews interview. That was the first time where I saw your personality come into it. And I think that's just because Mike is such a cool guy that it's yeah. like, I mean, it's easy to have a fun conversation with him. But I think yeah. that was, for me, that was when you as an interviewer made a switch where it was like, oh, Tony's not just the, the host of this podcast but he is an active participant and actually making it way better than it would be with any generic host. And I thought that was a huge growth moment for you. Yeah, definitely is where, where it got a little bit more fun. Um, as I listened to what Mike had to say, I was like, Holy crap. Well, it's also that Mike's such a good that to watch him. Yeah. Just what a wild success that he's been yeah. is so good to see. And that's just fun to be, even a tangential part of even just listening to it was fun, man. I was grinning ear to ear. <laughs> awesome. Cool, dude. Well, I appreciate the time tonight. Um, you said your wife's name is Amy. Yes. Tell her, thank you for giving, you know, us your time tonight. Um, I know she's probably paying the price of admission right now with the she sure is with our, with our daughter Lindsay, which is a name you'll recognize from earlier. In the there you go, daughter Lindsay. That is awesome, and uh, yeah, man, appreciate it. Uh, anything else that you know you wanted to say before we close this thing out? Um, yeah, actually, just in terms of talking to the Navy football brothers that are listening, thanks for this. Sounds super awkward, but. Thanks from a fan's perspective, watching you guys play was made the Academy experience what it was for me. Like you guys, knowing you guys, knowing the caliber of men that you are and watching you have the success that you had was fucking incredible just from the awesome. sidelines. And so thank you all for that. You too, you, Tony, but anybody that's listening, like the, you guys paying the price of admission made it better to be a midshipman generally. And that's, 
an accomplishment that I, you probably don't hear about much, but it did make it better for even people that weren't part of the brotherhood. Cool. Well, we, we love doing it. So, and, uh, you know, and when I went back to Notre Dame in 2019 and Ross got me on the sideline, um, I had to go like sneak into like behind the, the benches and, you know, you know, after a few beers, tell yeah. the linebackers what to do. And I was like, dude, just have some fun. Man. Right. Like, don't overthink this stuff. Go out there and smash. That's so, it. And you can do that in all any about. aspect of life. It's a skill exactly. you learn in football, but you can smash, you could smash anything. You could tackle hard anything. It just, it's about mindset. Yeah. Sometimes you need some tact, but <laughs> go hard, live fast, smash and rest. That's it. And do it again. Hey man, if you're going to make a mistake, make it a hundred miles an hour. It's at least going to be entertaining. That's a Joe speed comment. That's it. <laughs> All right. Justin North, everybody. Appreciate right, your time tonight, bud. You, Take care.